Welcome to the Thriving Artist Podcast, an educational feature of the Clark Hewlings Fund for Visual Artists. The Clark Hewlings Fund exists to provide business training and entrepreneurial learning to visual artists, to turn working artists into thriving artists. I'm Daniel Degree, your host. This episode, I'd like to give a shout out to our Montana listeners. We appreciate you tuning in to the Thriving Artist Podcast and recognize that you're known for fantastic artists like Barb Karst and Rudy Audio. We'd also like to thank the Culture Hustlers Podcast for mentioning our Art Business Accelerator program in their recent show. Culture Hustlers is a mobile incubator for artists. Check them out at culturehustlers.com. Now, our guest today is Nadia Fairlam. Nadia is a woodworker and 2018 executive fellow with the CHF Art Business Accelerator Program. Nadia previously worked as a technical illustrator of archaeological artifacts, and she began sculpting tropical hardwoods when she moved to Hawaii in 2008. Nadia works with interior designers and other prospects to put her work in commercial spaces and has a deep commitment to education in her work, which includes a pivotal project involving young potential art entrepreneurs. Welcome to the show, Nadia. Hi there. Thank you for having me. Well, it's really good uh, to finally have you on the show. This has been a long time coming, Nadia. I've been eager to get a hold of you. So I want to start off with just a little background. Uh, when did you become a visual artist? That pretty much started right out of the womb. I've always been painting, drawing, sculpting from the moment I could crawl and lay my hand on anything that was malleable or drawable. I love that. Uh, some are born to run, some are born to rock, and Nadia is born to be an artist. So let me um, fast forward a little bit. When did you start making money from your artwork, or when was your first big, you know, watershed moment or sale that said, hey, this is not just art for art's sake, but this is also a business? Well, one of the first times I started to sell my art was um, probably in my mid-20s, like little small watercolor paintings and drawings and that was a little extra cash on the side however in about 2012 I focused persistently on the work that I was making and what showed me that I could actually make money off of this was people were buying and then the more I made the more people bought and the more I made and more people bought so it was more of a a bit of a slow process and it showed me that if I put my mind to it and my heart to it and kept on, then it would be more profitable. Well, that certainly tells you that you have something worth pursuing. Uh, now, privately, uh, before the show, you had said that 99% of your... Wow. What is that? Uh, that sounds like a parakeet. That was a chicken. <laughs> that was a chicken. That was a rooster. <laughs> That's We're awesome. We're in Hawaii, so it's... It's like it's going to happen even if the air conditioning's on and I'm inside, you're still going to hear the roosters. I love that. We're, we're, I think we're going to keep that. Wow. And he's persistent. <laughs> I think we might keep that in the show. I didn't realize we were interviewing it's Na <laughs> Nadia plus rooster today, but, but we're going to do it. <laughs> so I might have some questions for the rooster later. Okay. Yeah. It's Hawaii. Welcome <laughs> to the roosters. I love that. I have to do that with the... Uh, the resident cat sometimes, so I totally get it. <laughs> it's a drive-by clucking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's okay. We'll let them run. We'll let them run. They'll be with us in the show. Okay. So um, ahead of the show, you had said that 99% of your income comes from your art. How exactly did that develop? I, I think that's a rarity among uh, for a lot of working artists. Well, that started and came into play when I decided it was about 
four or five years ago, I decided that the only way I know that I could be profitable with my business is if I tried. In other words, for about three years, I gave up almost all other work to see if I could become a full-time professional artist. So that's how that came about. It came about through purposefully, intentionally making the decision to see if it'll work out. And then I did whatever it took to make it work out. Well, so let's talk a little bit about the market uh, for your work and the market in general. So, so who buys your work, Nadia? Well, what I do is both functional and decorative woodworking. So I market myself to both homeowners and then also individuals that want purely decorative decor artwork. And that's how I've managed to position myself and keep going. So I sell from tourists visiting the island. So whether they're Japanese or international tourists that want some memorabilia to take back with them. I sell to people who are homeowners here on the island wanting to remodel their homes. I also have a big following with military, the, that big transient group. And when they all leave the island, they always want to take larger, more decorative, artistic pieces back wherever they're going to go so they remember the island. And then I also have a large following of people that just love my work and they love to collect it. And then interior designers also. You know, I think you've done something really important. And I'm always surprised at artists who haven't taken this uh, important step. You've identified multiple target audiences, and it sounds like you're very clear about who they are. Like you have a, a mental model of each type of potential audience member or, or target audience. And I think that uh, obviously is, is one of the keys to your success. But let me ask you this. How do you reach um, the members of your market, or how do you communicate with them effectively you know, you make art, you're alone in the studio, but, you know, how do they know that this is available and, and, uh, and plug into, you know, how do they get to the point where, yes, this is what I want to buy? Right. Great question. Well, I started by trial and error by putting myself physically at different art shows, craft fairs, events, things like that for several years to test out my product, to meet a lot of different kinds of people and to see what could be bought and what people were wanting to buy. And then after two or three years of that, I started to really narrow down through evidence of, okay, these groups and these groups and these groups of people are actually buying my work. They're buying it on a regular, consistent basis. How do I get in front of them even more? And so then I identified more specific shows, more specific events, and more specific locations where each of those categories of target, you know, my target market were going to be. And then I would put myself in front of them again and again and again, and then repeat again and repeat again until now it's to the point where, for example, this last weekend, I went to a farmer's market to sell my work. And as I'm driving away from the farmer's market, I get a message on Facebook from somebody that's local that wants to buy something and a message on Instagram from a woman that's on the mainland that wants to buy something. So there was success in multiple different arenas based on me putting myself in front of all these different groups again and again. 
All right, so we've got a, a very clear bead on who our target audiences are um, and a track record for selling to them and a process for reaching them um, with the right communication so that they reach back out to you. Um, I want to ask you this. Now, one goal for your pivotal project, and a lot of people may not know what that is, so, so let me clarify what it is for the audience. Um, you are, as a fellow in the Business Accelerator program, uh, required to produce a pivotal project, not a project for the program itself that sort of starts and ends with the program, but a project that actually advances your career in a pivotal way. So it's really a project for you rather than for the Clark Ewing's Fund. But, but one of the goals for that project that you've expressed is to change the perception of your work from craft to high-end art. So what I want to ask you about that is, is by high-end art, do you mean fine art? And what does the process of making that change of perception entail? Yeah. Well, I do mean fine art. And I do mean pieces that have an intrinsic value to them that, that transitions itself from something that appears to be a craft to you know, this is such a great question and it's a bit of a challenging question to, to a piece that it's perceived that it can carry a higher price point and be collectible. And to me, when I think about fine art, I often feel like it's something that transcends when I look at something that I see and feel is a gloriously crafted painting, sculpture, design, building, whatever it is. It's something that takes my breath away. It's something that transports me, takes me from this physical plane to a place of awe and wonder and curiosity. So that's what I mean from just a, a normal everyday mirror or drawing or sculpture to something that transports the viewer to another plane. Well, I like that because, you know, I can sort of hear in the narrative around it that, you know, we're not talking, even though somebody might initially be interested in something for a, a decorative purpose or um, for because of the remodeling and they need a piece to fit a certain um, element or decor or space, um, that you want to help them transcend that. And you're not satisfied with just sort of limiting it. It's not art as decoration. So I like that sort of approach to your brand. Uh, let me ask you this. Um, let me shift and, and focus a little bit on the business side of it. Do, would you say that you have a well-developed business plan? I do now. <laughs> I do now after repeatedly working on it and throwing it out and working on it and throwing it out and working on it and throwing it out for the last year and a half to the point where I actually went online this last month and bought a business plan program and created an actual business plan on top of the investment grade proposal you guys have had me do. So I, I have one now. I love that. You know, I, uh, I was actually looking at a very similar program uh, recently, and I was astounded by how much it, it sort of follows the uh, investment grade uh, project or, or pivotal project plan that we have you guys do. And so I like the fact that it, it fits together, that you can zoom out and think about what is, you know, the goal of my business overall and, and how will that work? How will I implement it? And then you can zoom in farther and think, well, what's, what's an example of a project that will extend that plan and, and accelerate it? And how will I implement that? Let, let's talk a bit about 
um, something that you did in the first year of your fellowship, because as a senior fellow, you're in, in a second year fellowship, which is a rare award. So in year one of the Art Business Fellowship, you actually donated a piece to uh, the Surfrider Foundation fundraiser. And for those that don't know, uh, the Surfrider Foundation is an activist network that is dedicated to protecting and uh, creating enjoyment around the world's ocean, waves, and beaches. And what I wanted to ask you is, um, what was the decision-making process behind um, donating your work? And was it successful, or, or what came out of that, if anything, for you? Well, I'm very picky and choosy nowadays about who I donate my work to and why. And I chose to go with that company for several different reasons. One, I like what they advocate, and I like what their purpose is, and I like what they're doing. And then two, I knew that one of my ideal audiences that I haven't tapped into yet does attend that specific event. And these are world-class surfers and watermen and waterwomen that would be more likely to be able to afford and appreciate the higher priced pieces of art that I make. And so I knew that if I could have a really nice piece in that event, it would be free advertising for me. I would be put in front of that ideal audience. And what happened from it, it was so nice. People were competing over the auction. It was sold in a silent auction. And so what was nice is it sold for more than I thought it would sell. There was a bit of a competition on who got it. And so I know that got a lot of buzz for me. And so far, I haven't had any additional sales from it. However, I know that in this next Christmas season, when I make sales on the North Shore of Oahu, and I show up and a lot of those watermen and women are there, that they'll see my work and know that's me, make that connection, and be more interested and willing to purchase my pieces. You know, I love that because a lot of emerging artists will... Um, you know, sort of willy-nilly start donating the work or they'll get asked to donate work a lot. Um, I've talked to artists that say that 75% of the work that they're moving actually is donated and they're not too sure that that is, is necessarily a good move. So what I'm hearing from you um, is that the work that you donate now, it's selective and it's strategic. And an example of what I mean by strategic is that you're describing audience development. You're saying that, um, you know, you're not necessarily thinking hand to mouth that, all right, if I donate this piece, people will see it and immediately go to my website and buy other work. But you're thinking, I'm donating this piece uh, because one, I, I believe in the organization that I would be working with. And two, um, the constituents of that organization are part of my audience, and I want to do audience development. I want to cultivate that particular audience. Not to put words in your mouth, but how do you feel about donating your work now? Is, is that it, or is there more to it? I am now very picky and specific about who I choose to donate to and why. However, when I first started five, six, seven years ago, I wasn't picky. I took as many different opportunities as I could to have my work seen and shown in front of different audiences. And that was until I decided, until I figured out who my target audiences were. So nowadays, people do ask me a lot, hey, donate to this and this and this. And a lot of times I'll just say no to them. And what's funny is they'll, sometimes people will get angry and they'll start trying to explain to me why it's so beneficial for me to 
give my work away again and again. And then I get to turn around and explain to them why it's not beneficial to me and why their organization doesn't serve me. And a lot of people don't really understand or get that it's, it's you know, that artist's dilemma, which is, oh, you're an artist, donate all your stuff. It's because you're an artist, right? And well, you wouldn't ask your dentist to do that. You wouldn't ask your lawyer to do that. You wouldn't ask the policeman down the street to do that. So why are you asking me to do that? And it's funny nowadays how people stop and look at me and start thinking in a different way about, oh, yeah, I wouldn't ask those people to do that. Why am I asking you to give your work away for free? So I'm very picky and choosy now. You know, I, I love that because uh, I think what you're describing is is people sometimes have a template. You're an artist, therefore X. And sort of the problem with that thinking is that there isn't one template uh, for all artists. So uh, the moment you do that, you don't say you're a, a fireman, therefore you must like hamburgers. I think firemen do a lot of cookouts. You know, it's not like that. And so, you know, I've met people that have been working on their art for years, but haven't yet identified their target audience. And I like your idea of get your work shown however you can at first, but with a strategic goal, not just to do it and hope, but do it so that you can help facilitate your need to identify a target audience. And then once you've done that, you're going to make another shift and it won't be the same template anymore. It, it will be a template of, of being a little more strategic about working with that audience. You know, and right now I'm on the verge of making another strategic shift from the audiences that I have into another audience group, another target audience. So I'm in the middle of that shift right now. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about. So, you know, privately, uh, you've mentioned uh, creating a list of interior designers to work with and pursuing them one by one. And I wonder what has come from that? Uh, what is your pitch uh, in, in that process? Well, the first thing I did was figure out where and who my ideal interior designers, decorators, art dealers would be. And then once I figured that out, I put together a professional booklet, like a portfolio, but more of a booklet of my work that I wanted to showcase for them. And then basically what I did is I would show up at their store or show up at their place and go talk to them. And on one occasion, a job came about from it very quickly, but pretty much for every other group of people and every other company, it's a slow, steady feeding of my information of showing up and talking to them, of calling them, of emailing them and saying, hey, this is my new body of work and this is what I'm doing now and what do you think about this and hey, let's go get coffee today again and again. And it's not a fast process. I mean, it's, sometimes it's a painful process. I wish it could happen more overnight. But slow, steady, persistent steps gets me where I want to be to the point now where when I first started working with you guys, I wasn't working with any art dealers or any interior designers. And now I'm working with two different interior designers and one art dealer. And I have two other interior designers that I'm still continuing to court, still calling, still saying, hey, I'm here and look at this and let's talk about that. And that's the process and that's the step. I'd love to push it. I'd love to make it go faster, but it does not work that way at all. It's a relationship. It's a friendship that slowly gets built interaction after interaction. Well, I think that's important. You know, you've 
uh, you've set yourself a strategy for going after commercial space, and then you've you've sort of reverse engineered it uh, and broken it down into milestones. Uh, obviously, something that that we're fond of and that that we teach a lot of at the Clark Ealings Fund. Um, and one of those milestones is the need to sort of break into that set of relationships with interior designers. I wonder, um, is there more to your strategy for going after commercial space uh, besides working with designers? Or has your pitch uh, for designers changed? Where are you with the overall uh, goal of, of going after commercial space? And, and what are you working on now? Right. Well, I still definitely have that goal to have my larger pieces seen and showcased in more of the hospitality industry here in Hawaii. And my strategy for that is still a little bit the same, which is have my work, the larger pieces seen and shown in the most important shows and art shows and art events on the island on a regular consistent basis, show up year after year, whether the pieces sell or not continue to network and meet more people and individuals that run the shows and do the shows and talk to all of the people that I already know. I mean, some of it is, is just talking to your neighbor because what it was, there's a woman and a group of people that I paddle with, which is outrigger canoe paddling. And I didn't even know that the lady that was steering the boat was an art dealer until I said, Hey, this is what I do. I make art. What do you do? So sometimes these people are in the boat you're in and you don't even know it or they're your neighbor. And so it takes courage and persistence and the willingness to be vulnerable and say, ask and tell everybody, hey, this is what I do. Do you know anybody that's in this industry? So right now, my next level of strategy for getting into these more commercial spaces is to talk to those designers and those dealers and talk to everybody I know and say, hey, who do you know that's in this industry? Can you turn me on to them? Can you give me an introduction? Can you call them for me? Can you introduce them to me? And again, if I'm in the right place at the right time, maybe a deal will show up quickly. Um, but I'm really thinking that what will happen is year after year, as I'm seeing more and more as a persistent, consistent professional artist, people will look at me and go, oh, okay, let's choose this person. Let's choose this person. So one of the other avenues is working with the um, Hawaii State Foundation on the Culture and the Arts. I'm looking into getting into that and then speaking more with the dealers and the designers that I know. That's my strategy right now. You know, I, I want to dig into this just a little bit more as we, we kind of shift from talking about business strategy and your, your business strategy in particular to talking a little bit about your pivotal project. The, you know, the thing you said, I, I think that really resonates with a lot of people. Sometimes you don't know who is in the boat with you uh, and the people you need are, are in the boat you're in and, and it takes that work of, of outreach to find them. I meet a lot of artists, I, you know, one artist in particular at our recent Art Business Summit in Dallas. Uh, for those that don't know, we, we do this several times a year. We're, we're getting ready to do one in Florida, another one in D.C., so definitely follow our schedule if you're not aware of it on clarkhealingsfund.org. But this particular artist said, you know, I don't talk to people. I, I stay in my studio, and when I come out, it, it feels like that I continue that solitude, and it, it isn't helping my career. So she's describing sort of missing the people that she's in, that are in the boat with her, not, not knowing who they are. And I think, Nadia, a lot of artists sort of tell themselves, 
there is a, a set of stories out there. You mentioned, you alluded to it earlier with the sort of template for artists, you know, what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing, you should be donating your work, et cetera. There's a, a template that artists should sort of remain pure, accept their poverty, that the notion of a middle-class artist or the notion of an artist that is out there thinking strategically in order to advance their career and make money, that that somehow is alien. So I want to say one thing and then ask you something. So we define a pivotal project at CHF as a project that advances your career or accelerates it in a, in a key way. And we break that down in, into it could be an immediate sales generator. You know, you get an income burst from the art itself, or it could be something that generates really high profile publicity, or it could be something that allows you to just fund your art practice. You're doing something alongside the art that's sort of your hack that allows you to fund your art practice yourself without being dependent or relying on people. And as people hear those things, you know, generate an income burst, generate publicity, fund your art practice, that myth that artists should just sort of stay in the studio, make work, be quiet, hope, that comes up. So what, what's your take on that? Do you, do you believe the middle class artist is a myth or do you think that that myth is the myth? <laughs> that myth is the myth. I know way too many people now, not just from the CHF program, but here in Hawaii, that, that are killing it, that make a lot of money from their art. And some of them are making a comfortable, nice living, own homes, have families. And it doesn't have to be a myth. I do feel like some people that are creative have a tendency to be maybe overly romantic and ungrounded and unwilling to face the music that you are running a business. I, when I tell, talk about myself to people, I, number one, consider myself a business owner and my business is art. <laughs> so I know that I'm running a business and every person that's an artist that I know that's making money is doing it the same way. How do I turn my creativity into money? whether it's writing or acting or dancing or singing, music, it's the same thing. You can't do it in a vacuum. I know that place all too well of being in my studio in my shop and then lifting my head up out of after a week and going, oh, there are other human beings on this planet. Uh-oh. <laughs> and it can be difficult to want to communicate or get up and sell. I mean, goodness. Selling art is really putting oneself in a really vulnerable place because it's not like you're selling a toothbrush or a hamburger. You're selling something that's part of yourself. It's like selling a child or an animal, a beloved pet. And so if you're rejected once or twice, it can be very painful and very difficult. And I can understand why a lot of artists would want to hide and shy away from putting themselves out there because you could be rejected. And that's the challenge is how does one deal with that rejection and what are you going to do to get back up on your feet again and again, no matter what? Uh, I think since I've done this program and even before I started working with CHF, I was working with another business program for creative people, whether they were cooks or musicians or homemakers, turn your creativity into a business. And so I, I think it's a... I think it's something that's been training, that's written into the fabric of our society 
that artists are these weird, strange, you know, exotic species of people that you need to baby and coddle and put to the side and pat on the head and say, oh, here's a gallery. Now you're successful. <laughs> it's not that way at all. It, it doesn't work that way. It requires attention and persistence and effort and energy and putting your butt on the line again and again. <laughs> you know, we all uh, ask those questions. You know, you're at a dinner party and, and everybody goes around the room. What do you do? Um, or if we're in a group of new people, tell us your name and what you do. And someone says, I'm an artist. And sometimes the, the response is, okay, but do you do anything else? Or, uh, well, sure. Is that your avocation, your hobby? Or what, what do you, what do you, also, what do you do? You know, and it, I, I imagine it can be incredibly <laughs> frustrating, uh, to, to hear that. And clearly you lean the other way. I want to ask you in particular about a pivotal project, the pivotal project, um, that you're working on because it involves in part, uh, working with kids and, and sort of, I think, creating apprenticeships. Um, I want to know wh why are you doing that or how is that part of your mission? Can you, can you tell us how that works? Well, this year with 2018 with CHF, my pivotal project is to turn my studio into a teaching studio, into a space where other creatives, other specific creatives, can come in and learn a skill and a trade and a craft, learn how to run a business, learn how to speak and act in a professional way. If I had had that when I was in art school, oh my goodness, things could quite possibly be a little different for me financially in this moment. I wasn't taught those things. And I, I, want, I like giving back. And I'll backtrack for a minute to that place of being in my studio alone for too many hours all week long. It can get lonely and your head can go spin off in all sorts of places that aren't healthy. So I would like people to have around me. I love teaching. I love sharing. I love what happens when I give students and children and young people a project or a task and then they bring it to life. I love that. I love giving back. And it feeds me and it fuels me. And I don't think it's a cop-out to be an artist and a teacher. Honestly, I think it's something that I should be doing, that written in, that I need to give back to my community. And, and also being part of Hawaii, living here, there's such a, a loving community where everybody wants to give back and share and include people. So the program, the pivotal project I'm working on right now is to create an apprenticeship program through my art studio, where as I'm working with designers and dealers and doing all the different shows that I'm doing, I have these kids come in and they learn how to use the tools and they learn how to get up and sell at a show and they learn how to use the computer and they, you know, they can teach me about social media. <laughs> and so when those, those individuals leave and they go to college or they get another job that they have very specific tools and skills that they can take into their career. So it's not just an employee, but a person that wants to learn something specifically and then put it towards what their dreams are and what their hopes are. That's my project this year. I love that. I think it's a very clear statement of a pivotal project. I wonder, you know, it sounds like they're not just learning art skills. You know, I do hear of other artists sort of getting together and, and teaching how to paint or teaching the craft. 
but it sounds like that you're also teaching the business side of it, which um, is a clear case of, of feeling a sense of mission. Um, I wonder, are these going to potentially, are some of these maybe going to morph into potentially paid positions or uh, become a revenue generator for you? Have you considered sort of doing boot camps or, or what's on your mind for the future? Well, with the apprentices, I, I have had employees that I pay and I am setting myself up to have a studio assistant at the beginning of the next year. And these individuals that are the apprentices, once they work with me for a period of time, and if they want to stay on, then yeah, that will become a paid position. And as my business becomes more robust and more able to have part-time employees on a regular basis, then yes, I would love to have a rotation of people come in and work with me on a regular basis. So I, I love the community feel of working together with others. I, uh, I think what you're saying is kind of profound. I think a lot of people don't immediately think of artists as economic contributors, and yet artists obviously contribute a significant amount to our GDP every year. That's statistically incontrovertible. But in a more sort of obvious way. Artists are employers. They bring on assistants. They bring on often paid interns. And you're sort of validating that. So I, I really like hearing it because it sort of makes that point that we can't afford to let the arts go, not only because our lives will no longer be enriched and without artists there's no art, but also because um, we'll take a significant economic hit if we don't back the arts and back artists and teach artists these business skills. So one of the, maybe one of the outcomes of what you're doing is to contribute to the next generation of economic contributors and employers, which I think is certainly worthy of, of accolade. Let me ask you a little bit about your brand story. So we talk a lot at the Clark Healings Fund about cultivating and crafting your brand story. The not sort of just your logo and the one liner, you know, but the narrative around your work. What's your brand story and, and has that story that you tell, has it evolved or changed? Well, right now and in the past several years, my brand story has been about my business and not necessarily as Nadia the artist. So, um, I actually, that's another pivotal change that will be coming at the beginning of next year. I have a company name and my business name and my LLC, and that so far has been my brand. And it no longer really fits what I do and who I am as an artist. I'm wanting to shift from this is my business to this is me and this is what I make. And it is happening and it is developing because I'm choosing to step out of the craft and more into the fine art arenas and more into bigger gallery settings and bigger shows and bigger events. So my brand has definitely served me. My brand has been a tool that I use at art shows, outdoor craft fairs, things like that to get attention. So people know me and they follow me and they go, Oh, I know that company and I know that company and I know that company. So I've used it strategically that way. And I might continue to still use that as a side brand. And then I'll add myself on as Nadia Fairlam, the artist, and this is the artwork that I make now. So that's how I've used it. And then 
that particular brand and myself as an artist, that will just evolve naturally because I'm seen in more places and people buy my things at a higher price point. And that's, again, a slow, steady process of growth. Well, I like the way in which your business plan is structured to communicate that brand story. I mean, on the one hand, you're you're telling your story in commercial spaces. On another, you're telling your story to a younger generation, which will both be interesting to them and, and create potential followers, but also be a model for them to understand how it's necessary to have a brand story. But you're also telling your story through apprenticeships, which can fund your work overall and allow you to tell it everywhere else that you take your art. So I think the shift is is very organic, and I like um, the success that you're having doing it. I want to ask you a little bit, shifting to, um, in the final segment of the show, the Accelerator Program. So the Art Business Accelerator Program is a year-long fellowship program with the Clark Healings Fund. And it's a virtual fellowship, meaning that you can be in Hawaii with the chickens, or you can be in Brooklyn, or you can be just about anywhere. And we do it that way so that we don't take you away from your studio. And we use a lot of technology and tools to make that possible. And you're in a second year of the program, as we said, which is a special award that we give a select few of the fellows that go through year one. I'm curious, as we're narrowing, we're just closing down the window in the next few days for applications for the 2019 Accelerator Program. Initially, when you discovered the program, why did you apply and what did you anticipate getting out of the program? I applied because I knew that if I didn't get help on how to run a business, there was no way I could continue making and selling my art. I was at the point of making just enough money but also spending just as much money on what I was doing. Honestly, I just wasn't trained to think like a business person at all. I had only just very limited training in what it takes to get a business off the ground and get it going. And when I found about the program, I couldn't believe that it existed. I thought, seriously, this thing, I can take this? This is like, okay, this is great. I will totally apply for this program. What I expected to get out of it when I applied was people that could teach me how to run a business, how to make more money, and how to keep myself going as an artist so I wouldn't have to give up and get other jobs and get other work. And what I got from it was, oh my goodness, this program is really intense, and you guys ask us to do a lot, and it's made my brain hurt a couple of times and a couple of really late nights. And it felt like I was in college again in a lot of different situations, working and working and working to complete the assignments and exercises you've asked us to do. And so it's totally been worth it. And I'm kind of wishing that I could keep going, <laughs> even though I know another year of it would be a lot. But at the same time, I know you guys have given me really all the tools that I need now to step out from the program and take it on my own and get this business to thrive even more. Yeah, we don't want the program to be the program for the program's sake. And you do have those tools. Um, you're one of our, our big success stories, of which there are many, but each one is unique and, uh, and pivotal. And of course, the relationship goes on. We try to maintain a, a lifelong relationship with all of our fellows. Certainly want to do so with you and, and want you plugged in to potentially be available to the next generation of fellows that we have. So we'll be talking about that more offline. But I want to ask you, in the 
term that you've had with the accelerator program, what's been the biggest change either for you, either a concrete change or emotional change or a change to your business since you started the program? Well, since the first couple of months of the program where you gave us those first initial exercises of what do you want your life to look like in a couple of years, what are the milestones to make that happen, and then what are the tasks to make that happen. And even though it was a really long process to get all that stuff written down, once I started working on those tasks, I began checking those milestones off my list and seeing, wow, I'm doing this and I did that. And I'm now working with an art dealer and I sold that piece for $3,600 and more people are seeing me. And I see that every time I set a milestone and create tasks around it, all I have to do is do the task and mark it off my list. And then that fills me with so much self-confidence and it takes away so much of the doubt and fear and confusion of how am I going to make ends meet and how am I going to make this work that I feel like. Yeah, if I hit another rough spot, all I need to do is, okay, what's my milestone? What is it that I need to work on? What are all the little tiny boring daily steps and action steps and phone calls that I need to make today and tomorrow to get this thing to happen in a month and two months and three months and then do it. So that's what I feel like I'm, I'm taking away from is a level of confidence that I was really needing and really wanted to have, not just about making money, but about myself and confidence about the work that I make as a fine artist, as a visual artist, that I do have value and I can be successful and this does work. So the the program sounds like it's generated a lot of value for you. Um, some changes uh, that were commensurate with what you wanted to achieve and also maybe went beyond that a bit. I wonder what was what has been the biggest challenge or the biggest hurdle in the program that you've faced and, and maybe overcome? So my biggest hurdle mostly has just been the, the self-confidence of getting out and showing my work. Uh, no, you know, I'll take that back. My biggest hurdle has been the self-confidence of raising the prices and asking for those prices and then getting paid for the price point that I want to get paid for. And that's really just a self-confidence thing. And that, again, has been solved through repetition and persistence and action. So, you know, making the booklets and making the work and getting it shown and seen so that people are used to this is the price point that I'm going to charge and this is how much it's going to be, and then getting myself in front of the right audiences. And so I would say it's just the time it takes to make that happen. Again, I would love it if it could happen overnight, but it doesn't. And so sometimes I would like it to go a little quicker than it does. And so it's the patience of waiting for the reputation to build and the art to be seen and people to get to the same level with me with the prices that I'm charging. I think that's one of the hardest things is once you get a lot of clarity on what you want to achieve and you get even more clarity on how you're going to achieve it and then you start taking steps and it starts to happen, the waiting, why, you know, because it never happens quite as fast as our mind can take us there and envision the future, I think that that patience can be challenging, but I'm, I'm glad to hear you're sort of tackling it. What, what is... Is there a bottom line result, uh, whether it's increasing your prices or higher revenue or more opportunities? The bottom line right now for me is my profit margin. So that means, 
you know, the more money I get out of it from the sale of every piece just helps me with my business so that there's a little less physical work and effort and labor and also doing more work one-on-one with people so that I'm, I don't have to do so many shows and outdoor events and things where it's people are coming to me and that is starting to happen slowly. And so more of the profit margin and making higher priced pieces. It's, it's fun to make those pieces. It's fun to make the ones that are bigger and larger and more creative and more playful and in that way. And I like that. I, I love how that feels. All right, one more question about Accelerator, and then we'll sort of wind down with a couple of fun questions. Uh, what, you know, pieces, tools, expertise for the business do you feel that you still need to acquire to achieve your goals? Great question. Right now, for me, it wouldn't be acquiring any new skills or expertise or anything like that. It would just be taking everything that I already have to the next level, taking the website to the next level, taking my brand story to the next level, taking the pieces I make to the next level, and then setting the milestone, creating the task, and making it happen. So that's what it feels like right now. Maybe a little bit of expertise on speaking a little bit better and more clearly in public settings, but I do feel like you guys have given me pretty much everything I need to set that big dream and goal and then making it happen. Well, that's certainly high praise for the program. I do think that you're an excellent speaker. Of course, we had you as uh, one of our panel discussion speakers uh, at the last Art Business Summit, and uh, I think everybody thought you did a a pretty great job. Uh, But I think, you know, that's the goal for all of us is um, to get to a place where we've acquired the tools, expertise, and pieces that we need so I think that's a, a pretty good place to be where you've kind of got gotten the expertise, the tools, the pieces of the business that you, you need to go after the goals. And now it's a, a matter of sort of you've got the engine. And so now it's a matter of uh, utilizing this engine to take it to increasingly deeper levels. So that obviously is the goal of the program. Uh, so clearly it works. I want to ask you a couple of fun questions, So, and then we'll close the show. So fun question number one, what makes you, Nadia, a good business person? Probably being really stubborn, <laughs> not giving up no matter what, persistence. I keep saying that, persistent, continual action, and a willingness to be a little vulnerable and a willingness to ask for help. If I get to a place where I don't know and I need help, I'll ask for help. Yeah, I do think that is uh, an essential ingredient. So I love that. All right, one more. Where do you see your art business in, say, two years or five years from now? Five years from now, I see myself in this business. I see myself making pieces that are seen and showcased in more of the hospitality industry here on the island. So that would be larger hotels, corporate projects, private homes, private collections, where the pieces are getting more intricate and larger and seen on a a broader level and also seen internationally too. So a couple of galleries, international, and on the mainland, the States. 
You've been listening to The Thriving Artist Podcast, an educational feature of the Clark Hewlings Fund for Visual Artists. If you've enjoyed this program, be sure to subscribe to new episodes and review your experience on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in. For more information on Nadia's work, visit themermaidsmirror.com For more information on the Clark Hewlings Fund, visit clarkhewlingsfund.org. To sponsor our learning programs with your impactful gift of any size, visit clarkhewlingsfund.org slash donate. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Nadia. It's been really great having you. Thank you so much for having me on, Daniel. This is always a treat to get to work with you guys.